0: Welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. I am your host, Joey, and today I'm joined by DJ Murakami, also known as Strong Camps. DJ is a California based coach working with people both face to face and online, and he's a big proponent of strength training. However, his definition or view of strength is a lot broader than what you would find in most gyms, and that is largely what we discuss today. We do also discuss microdosing of psychedelics and the role that they can play in life but also in the training environment and we talk about some of the facets of the fitness industry and the movement game and just sort of investigate maybe what could be done better or what improvements he might like to see now it's a beautiful chat really fascinating guy it was great to have him on I want to ask a favor from you as a listener of this show I would like you to help support us now you've got a couple of ways you can do that you can leave us a review give us all the five stars if you think we're worth it And whatever platform you're on, Spotify, iTunes, there's a review button there. That helps to let uh, the platform know that the show is decent and then it will tell other people about it. Or if you don't want to do that, you could just share the episode with someone you know who might enjoy listening to it. So take a screenshot of it, put it on your social media, tag us, uh, send it to a friend, say, hey, check this out. Any of those measures will go a really long way to helping us continue to get awesome guests like DJ onto the show. All right, onto the episode. Give me a little background just on where you are. From
1: what I understand you're in California. Yeah, I'm in uh, Southern California. So right between LA and San Diego um, in a small town called Marietta. Beautiful place. Tell me
0: about, I know Callie, from, from what I could tell, I'm from Sydney, Australia. So being in California kind of felt, parts of it actually felt a lot like home.
1: Just as expensive, yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah just as expensive maybe um maybe there's a bit of an attitude amongst the people where you're in kind of god's country oh yeah 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 like like the same as we have here in sydney where it's sort of like the we we consider it to be the nicest part of the country that's up for debate but it's it's like the it's the place it's got the best cities. it's got the best you know beaches and whatnot
1: yeah the food's amazing over there in sydney too
0: yeah, well, the Mexican over your part of the world is is on another the level. The best, the absolute the best. finest, better than Mexico.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how we did that.
0: <laughs> but um, the thing that struck me when I was there was that we actually have
1: you been have you been to Australia before? Yeah, I've been to Sydney, just Sydney, okay. and uh, did a workshop out there, and um, I just remember. <laughs> Eating some of the best like Korean food over there. <laughs> that was really good. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from what I understand, there's
0: there's good Korean, but it sounds like you had, you probably didn't have the typical maybe tourist experience. Like you got to see some real stuff. Um, yeah, some locals helped me out, which
1: is always great.
0: But you know what struck me? I was driving uh, from. I was driving north of San Diego. I was living in San Diego for a few months, and. Oh. And all of a sudden, I saw gum trees, which like eucalyptus trees. And I hadn't seen them anywhere else in the world. And I thought that they were purely an Australian invention. And it kind of struck me that the, uh, there's a lot of similarities in the flora and
1: fauna and that our parts of the world were at one point connected. Yeah, I don't know. Euc- I grew up with eucalyptus. And all I remember is... Now I have like a eucalyptus branch in my shower. Is like the hipster thing to do now. <laughs> uh, it's dried and you heat it up and you get that like smell. I guess it's just one step more valid than essential oils. So a lot of street crud. But yeah, I love I love eucalyptus. Good for uh, insects. Don't like it, right? Uh, yes, that true? yeah, the
0: o- yeah the oil. Yep, the oil has many uses like that. Good for um, good for bushfires, actually. Uh, it probably smells interesting. No, are, are you familiar with what? Some, like, I think there's like a thousand different types of eucalypt trees. But are you familiar with? They have a mechanism for for they play an important role in bushfires, which is incredibly fascinating. What's that? Don't let me don't let me hijack the conversation because we're not here to talk about my the tree thing. But let me just pass this on to you because I think I only this thought is so- there was
1: one eucalyptus tree, and now you're telling me there's thousands. So no, there's yeah, there's. I'm thousands. getting more out of this conversation already right now. So
0: far, so what, what they do is, and I, I read this I read this in a book, uh, There's an interesting book called Leviathan, uh, which is by an Australian author, and it's it's essentially like he calls it the unofficial biography of Sydney. And he talks about many things in it, but one of the chapters he talks about the, the burning of the landscape and how this, this land essentially has been built over thousands and thousands of years of wildfires, but also controlled fires. And what that's done is it's created um, a bush that relies on fire in order to maintain itself. One of the big problems we have now is that... Um, you know, since, we, since, since the English colonized the place, we don't maintain the bush. And so we have these really bad wildfires, which you would have seen in, in recent years. In any case, what eucalypt trees do is when there's a fire nearby, so that the, the climate heats up, the tree will spit uh, eucalyptus oil out of its, like out of the whole tree, it will start to just sort of mist eucalyptus oil. That eucalyptus oil becomes an accelerant and the fire will travel up from the ground up to the top of the tree, to the foliage. And the leaves are all full of eucalyptus oil. So they will also combust and it will essentially explode fire to the neighboring trees. So it creates like a a tunnel for the fire to travel up
1: it and away from it, which in turn protects the tree. Wow. I didn't know that. So it's a feature, not a bug, right? yeah it it evolved for that that's fascinating
0: but then the the fucked up thing is that you get these you know you get people we we build our houses in the bush and we want to have eucalyptus trees because it's australian and and that kind of thing and then we have wildfires that come through and it turns into like it's working against you
1: essentially Mm. yeah i mean that's another thing we have in common southern california fires and earthquakes but that's that's our thing so same z's
0: Tell me, about, tell me about that and I want to, um, I guess I'm asking you about your home because I, I think it's nice for people who are listening to, uh, to get an impression of sort of what it's like in your piece of the world right now. What's the, what's the situation in, well, let me restart that. I hear people talking about sort of a doom and gloom aspect of California. You've, you've had the wildfires some really devastating ones recently. I understand that's part of, that, that happens there at regular intervals. Um, I also hear certain people talk about undesirable uh, political situations and whatnot. And I mean, there's always people talking about that. Is are these things that we hear, that I'm hearing, uh, you know, is your impression of where you lived changed or is it still a wonderful place to be in somewhere that you, you love?
1: Um, So I I guess a bit of a disclaimer where I live, I I mean, I just go in my home and the gym and the grocery store and I don't engage with the world around me, but I'm in a little pocket. That's very, uh, it's all, it's a military town. So we have one of the biggest, uh, Marine bases right next to us. So politically we're the opposite in the bubble of like, uh, LA, San Francisco, Oakland, these big cities are very liberal and they have a very different political climate than where I'm at. So I haven't really experienced any of that. Even the uh, pandemic was was great here. Nothing really changed during the pandemic and we're in one of the harshest states that did restrictions. Um, So yeah, if you're in a a large city, LA, these other cities, uh, yeah, shit got wild. And I know a lot of people left uh, the state because of that, but I'm I'm insulated, uh, so I'm not in touch with any of that. So yeah, it's, it's same old for me. Even the fires, okay. um, a lot a lot of fires around here, um, but it's just it's I'm in a deserty cli- uh, climate, so, um, and I'm kind of in a valley, so yeah, I see them, but it hasn't affected me.
0: Is the um, when you mentioned. The gym the grocery store and home is it by design that you don't really go outside of that
1: yeah <laughs> I, mean, I yeah even in my home it's like kitchen and uh the the floor to sleep and shower but i i just kind of like to design my life um i'm lucky because i love the gym i love working out Doubles as an office, doubles as uh where I, you know, train people and do my online stuff out of. And then yeah, food. I collect food often and I bring it to the kitchen. So that's about it. Very little social life. Um, but isn't that a lot of trainers? Aren't we all <laughs> a little off, you know? Uh, I I suppose. I guess we have a There's a full
0: spectrum there. Speaks to me. But aren't most
1: trainers on the spectrum, Joe? (laughs) Agree?
0: Um, Yeah, to an extent, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I can. I. I like. Well, no, my life for the last ten years really hasn't been too dissimilar from that. Besides, you know, maybe some training at another gym outside of this gym, but it does revolve around more or less the same things.
1: That's exciting! A new gym. Yeah, variety. that's cool, huh?
0: <laughs> Which actually I'll ask you about it later, but I, I I caught up with your conversation that you had on the quest cast about if you were to continue jujitsu or not. Um don't let me go there now because I got a one tangent I want to stay on, but I want to I want to talk to you about that. Um the that idea though, like the the simplification of things, like for a lot of people listening it. I don't know, it's kind of nice to look at that and think, oh, wow, this guy has, like, he keeps it real simple. Training, nutrition, it gets the food from that place, makes it there. Um, Did you ever have a time in your life where you felt like you had too much going on or where you you needed to simplify it in this way or has that always been the way that you've operated?
1: Yeah, I had, I mean, I had uh, times in my life that were... Like, I've had a rock bottoms they weren't going so well. I was kind of going down the wrong path. But the one variable that was always constant and kind of anchored my routine was the gym. Like, training has always been there, thankfully for me, especially when I was going through rough patches, everything falling apart. Uh was something I stayed accountable to, something I, you know... I mean, it gave me some sort of self-worth. I do think I, I mean, like a lot of people, younger kid, insecurity, um, a lot of reasons I got into training, but man, who knows? I think it's a thing that potentially is is a lifesaver for a lot of people. Um, And it could be other things, but for me, it's training and yeah. So now I'm, I'm thankful that, okay, so I have this year and I get to kind of build around that and orient my life effort around these goals that all build upon each other. So yeah, I'm thankful I get to have that as a part of my life. The gym that you train out of, is it, it's called reps? It was, I'm at a new gym called Boombox. Oh, down the street. Yeah. Yeah reps didn't okay. make it through the pandemic
0: oh like shit, a lot man, of that's, gems yeah wow that's really unfortunate yeah um, it is. that that was that was going to be my my next question was do you like are you involved in that in the business but i
1: i guess i guess not you you work out of that and that's it or you, you know, out of your oh space? yeah yeah hell no that I've, I've always been reluctant to uh because if you think about it these so down here the big model is a private gym and independent trainers rent out the space you know kind of like a barber shop you you run out a chair and work out of there man that just seems like such a great deal you know no overhead little liability you just pay your rent and you you get a gym so i never really got the idea of why would you want to own a gym that did that (laughs) Uh, it it seems like a high risk business for me, but I know it works out. You have a gym, right? You have a successful gym
0: Uh, success. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's up for discussion, but yeah, I got a gym.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It scares me. It's a lot. It's a lot of work, but I think that's how cool is it to create your own vision and environment and a special place for people. You know, that's also cool to see. And I like that being part of that in gyms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think everyone has a role to play there. I mean, we've got a bunch of amazing coaches here that probably don't all aspire to own their own place. Some of them just want to hang out, you know, some will be here for a short time, some a long time, but it's great. You know, it's nice. I think what I was, um, what I'm interested to kind of understand there is like, there is a, a transition or a, it's kind of two, two different characters you, you play when you're, when you're a coach. You're the person who's into training and you like, you obviously like it, you know, you like to explore things, you like to work on whatever you like to work on. But then there's the business person side of it where you've got to make money and you've got to be marketing and, you know, things have got to be um, supporting your lifestyle and whatever your goals are there. Uh, how do you is what I'm picking up from you is that you're like, look, I don't want to own a gym because I I want to just focus on what I'm doing. And I, and I like that. Uh, do you find it hard to go between those two roles? And do you find that you maybe tend to maybe overdo it more on the training side or, you know, or vice versa?
1: Hmm. I try to, well, I try to optimize both. Um, You know, I have a lot of my days are like my training is whatever gap opens up that I can get it in. Um, But yeah, I guess I'm in a different space because most of my um, personal training clients are online uh, as opposed to in person. Um, But I, yeah, I, I don't know where the balance point is, to be honest. I try to optimize both. Uh, Sometimes the training takes a backseat because of life and uh, sometimes business does. So I'm not going to be telling anyone the secret behind that. How do you stay jacked then? How do I stay jacked? (laughs) So Joe, I, I lost around 20 pounds in the past month and a half. So people are calling me skinny nowadays. But the camera, if you get the lighting and the camera angle down, <laughs> it's a game of shadows. you know what I mean? like we've all got that spot in the gym. So that, I think that's the main factor there is uh, camera angle. second factor would just be uh, you know consistent <laughs> <laughs> progressive training overload over time with whatever volume you have uh, frequency you have available and then uh, yeah some same with the diet but, but mainly lighting.
0: <laughs> how did you, um, it makes me think of one of your move boys posts, which I'm definitely going to quiz you on that later. Um, how do, how did you lose 20 pounds and was it intentional?
1: Yeah. So I, um, lost 20 pounds by eating less food, uh, calorically. Um, and I, I planned it out. It was more of like, man, I've never, so I've had a few clients to lose over a hundred pounds, but when it comes to working with people who want to do like physique shows, bodybuilding, I usually refer them out. Um, And I'm always playing with like, I like to feel strong and maybe I'll be body recomping, but I'm never like trying to cut down and get shredded. And I'm like, you know what? I've never done it. I want to feel what it's like. I want to experiment. And so, you know, I went on a little journey to, you know, plan out a calorie deficit and it's been so cool. It's been, I wish I would have done it earlier. So I'm getting a lot of information. It's like a, I'm finding out physiologically what happens and I'm noticing, you know, Hey, uh, I feel my, my non-exercise activity, you know, go down uh, like I'm, I'm breathing slower. I'm not shaking my legs anymore. (laughs) I feel, um, so I'm getting kind of deep into it right now as far as the, the calories and I find myself like lying more like I'll tell a lie and I'm like, why did I lie about that? And it's merely just so I don't have to spend the energy going into like a topic. So <laughs> I'm like, that's interesting. And and I'm like looking back cognitively, even psychologically, I'm doing little things to just cut energy everywhere. Um, another interesting thing on the journey is man, I felt great. You know, I feel really good cognitively on, uh, going down this many calories. And you know how like people on carnivore or keto will be like, man, my mind is so sharp. My energy levels are so smooth. I think that's just being in a calorie deficit and losing weight. I think it's the mm-hmm. same thing. I mean, I feel even better than my stints with keto and carnivore. So yeah, it was really interesting. i um, gaining strategies on, you know, food choices. So it's all stuff that'll just increase my skill level as far as coaching and just getting to know my body more. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did this. Do you notice a negative
0: effect on your training?
1: Yeah. So that was kind of where I was going to pull the brakes on it is when, you know, I'm tracking libido, which, uh, hasn't been affected too much. I'm tracking strength, which strength I'm still hitting PRs and increasing, during this. And I'm not saying that as like, I'm a badass. It probably means I was not putting in the effort or my potential effort before that I'm capable of. I think I was sandbagging it a little bit is what I've learned because I'm still progressing. I'm just pushing harder. I'm like, dude, I could have pushed this hard the whole time. Hmm. So now I'm looking forward to, you know, increasing calories going on the upside and then, you know, keeping that intensity going um, but both those things once again probably because i'm a newbie uh, going in this body weight calorie range and it's my first time they're they're all going good i did a uh,
0: podcast with a, a coach i know here in sydney um fella's name is rawdon dubois great name but uh he's a he's like a physique kind of coach and um he works with a bunch of you know whatever. He has a few bodybuilders and then a bunch of physique competitors, et cetera. I spoke to him on the back end of COVID, the the second lockdown that we had here in Sydney, which was last year. And um, he was, man, he was like three months into a really hectic cut. And two things that struck me on that one was, I didn't get a word in the whole show because he was just so jacked up that he just like rambled on incessantly. Yeah, it was fascinating, but I was like, "Whoa, well, Roden's really been—I don't know—he might have been hypercaffeinated or something." But he—he he, like he showed me he showed me his condition on that day. And this—and this is a, he's in his mid-forties, I think. And he's typically like a barbell kind of guy, loves big and strong. And uh, he would just had veins all up through his abs and like like he, you know, he and his face was completely withdrawn. He said to me, he had stopped, he still kept up his steps every day, but he he couldn't take his dog with him anymore because his dog, he's, he's got like a little Staffordshire Terrier. The Staffy had just become too strong and it was too taxing for him to hold on to. But when he would get to, he was crossing the road, when he'd get to the point where you can like just step up the curb, he would actually go left or right instead so that he could find the little ramp. To get you know onto the footpath, the sidewalk, um, which like for for people listening who maybe can't understand what it's like to be in a calorie deficit but still be pushing forward with your training and stuff, um, I it's it's incredible. There's two like that that story for me like there's two very conflicting things going on. Hard training, but then also the
1: the suffering that goes on in the rest of life. Oh yeah. It's, it's an interesting practice, especially the willpower aspect, which I find for me, it's, it's easier to stick to, um, some sort of nutrition plan meal plan when in, uh, when being strict, like I just baked a bunch of cookies yesterday and, um, no temptation to eat it where, if I had my normal higher allotment of calories, I go loose a lot more just because I'm like, Oh, I can, yeah. but now it's such an easy black and white decision. Like, Oh no, if I do, I can only have this much. If not, there it is. So like the temptation has gone down in a lot of things that uh, um, willpower, which, you know, is, I don't know if we want to call it that we have unlimited willpower, but my, my mental cognitive fatigue um, is less in terms of that. But yeah, I'm finding myself sitting more. Like Now when I'm training people, I'm like sitting the whole time. <laughs> I'm doing exercises. I'm like, I wonder if there's a sitting version I could do here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to make everything easier. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see you do that like unconsciously, really. You said we have unlimited willpower. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I think just the the research I've seen, uh, we used to think that willpower was like this fuel tank and you run through it throughout the day, but I don't think it worked like, it uh, works like that. It's a more of a perception like fatigue is an emotion and it's very task specific, which we evolved to do. So that's when, you know, boredom kicks in when you're doing, you're running this, um, opportunity cost or cost benefit analysis of what you're doing and your mind says hey let's let's do something that gives us pleasure which used to be tied to food and sex and things we needed so um yeah i think as long as you manage that um task specific fatigue which is why hey if you give yourself meaning purpose or rewards behind things you could reframe it like training like i love training to a lot of people, it could be um, pretty much torture and their level of fatigue is going to be very different. Um, now, you've seen it like imagine running a race and you're like, man, over that hill is the finish line. And you just drive yourself to get there and you realize that's not the one, fatigue will set in because your brain's like, hey, I, I'm expecting an, a reward. So yeah, it's. I see that. Uh, willpower as a reflection of just that opportunity cost your brain's always running and not so much a physiological, uh, energetic system, you know, like there's studies where you could something pleasurable, uh, will increase energy. Right. Um, they used to think it was glucose going to the brain that's giving you energy, but there's studies where you're just rinsing your mouth out with artificial sweetener and it gives you a boost. So, yeah, I think it's more the perception and, and psychology that we're dealing with.
0: Could I ask you to elaborate on, you mentioned earlier, you were, when you were, when you were younger or at different stages in your life, not on a great path. Can you, are you able to sort of elaborate on what, what was going on there? Cause I'm seeing, and, and how this took you into how training became a salvation of sorts.
1: Yeah, just, just young and dumb and angry and uh, not dealing with um, emotions or, you know, events that were going on and just trying to numb them and escape them through self-destructive means. Um, yeah, I was, I was definitely heading towards full self-destruction willingly at a certain age. Um, and, you know, like I said, training was that thing that I stayed accountable to and always came back to. And it was actually, um, uh, psychedelics mushrooms that kind of pulled me out of or, or made me aware and shifted my perspective. And actually, uh, I actually just objectively looked at, wow, this is what I'm doing with my life. Um. This is how I'm acting. This is where it's headed. All these habits, these traits were kind of deconstructed in front of me. And, you know, that was the starting point of, Hmm, do I want to still be this person or do I want to put these things down and go into growth? And even just knowing you have that option and not being, you know, run by emotions. That was kind of my journey with, uh, I guess you could, I looked at it as training, on not just the physical level but hey uh, the emotional level um the mental level and yeah at that age that's how i had to interpret everything was lessons through training <laughs> uh luckily it, it was a great teacher so yeah that was uh that was the past
0: how were the the psychedelics part is, is fascinating. How was that administered? Was that just you dabbling with things and, and being recreational about it? Or was there an intentional, was there a guide or was there some kind of intentional uh, use of these things
1: to achieve an end? Um, back then, thankfully it turned out this way. I knew nothing about psychedelics. Um, I thought it was like weed where you like take it and you get high. Um, I didn't know it took 45 minutes plus to kick in and have the effects. So I was out drinking. Someone had them. I took an eighth. I was like, hey, I don't feel these. Got another eighth. 30 minutes later, got another eighth. And I ended up taking this guy's bag and eating it. And uh, yeah, and you know, bing, kicks in. I had my my journey. Um, but I'm glad it it happened that way, you know, because now that terrifies me. I have the fear of God in me, right? I'm not going to take that much <laughs> if I can help it or if I do, I'm, I'm terrified. So yeah, it, I'm glad I stumbled upon it and I got the lessons from it that I needed.
0: <laughs> um, was that uh we're we talking mushrooms, like just,
1: just. Yeah, psilocybin.
0: Yeah. Dried my cool. Um, and uh, I mean, what, tell me more about it because what I, you know, there's, when you look at, when you look at the people, like obviously there's recreational use of these things and it's like, yeah, we got fucked up and did mushies. I don't know if you guys call them mushies, but you know, there's that whole part of it. And then there's the, the ceremonial side, the reverence, the respect for the, and so you're like, oh, we're out drinking. And then I smashed a bunch of mushrooms and went on this hero's journey. Um, where, like where, how did it play out? Where were you? And how did it not just become a night where you were fucked up and maybe didn't wake up remembering anything?
1: yeah i (laughs) i see so i i tend towards the side of just taking them like like our ancestors probably did running across them in the environment what's this bloom and then you are having the experience mainly because all the like institutional paths toward how you're supposed to do it whether different cultures are now it's being in uh, indoctrinated, in, like Western medicine and therapy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a, like, that's cool. I'm glad they're doing it, but I'm like, Hey, it's your human, right? Just, it's a plant and you're a human. You both kind of grew here, interact with each other. Um, so yeah, I think just the amount that first time, the Im- quantity I took it, there was a high chance it was going to be a spiritual <laughs> experience <laughs> And it was gonna change me Um, and it brought out it brought out a lot of things I knew I already knew I needed to face and deal with but I just in my whole life was just numbing and, and escaping these things so it was a whole session of you know look at it face it you know and just you have the information now now you know that you have a choice you know, don't, don't avert your gaze. This is it. So it was a very challenging um, journey to do that, which I think is the benefit of like therapeutic uh, psychedelics is, you know, facing the shadows and integrating them. So yeah, I I definitely had that experience reluctantly. Talk to me
0: about the, I know you've done some experimentation. I don't know, maybe it goes beyond that, but uh, with micro dosing, tell me, you yeah. know, kind of break that down for me. I'm, I, there'll be people listening who don't really understand the concept of that. I think most people have heard about it, but maybe don't quite get how it works on a sort of ground level.
1: Yeah. Micro dosing is taking a um, very small amount so that you don't really notice the Effects too much uh, and taking it more frequently. People take it to, I think it's been shown, uh, I'm not sure if the the verdict's in, but it's comparable to like an antidepressant. A lot of people say it is like the limitless pill that uh, increases productivity, creativity, output. It's big over here in like the tech industry. And the creative industry—it's huge in MMA. We found—you will not believe the amount of uh, MMA fighters who use this because it's not on the controlled substance like list. It's not WADA doesn't check for it. Oh wow! Um, and it—it it seems to be a perfect fit for like jujitsu, um, sparring, you know, um, striking. These things just because you, man, you get in the flow and you get this read on other people, this connection with the other person, which if I had to speculate, uh, anyone who's done, uh, like macro doses, large doses with other people or in groups, you have these instances where you're almost telepathic. Um, just reading other people having the same, like, ah, without verbalizing it. I don't know what that is. Maybe you're just more sensitive to physical cues or picking up on something that we can't really measure yet but I think there's something there and I think they're utilizing it on, um, in fighting. But yeah, I, as a like, to recommend it to the public, I, I'm hesitant about that because taking large amounts of psychedelics is very safe, but taking small amounts frequently, we don't really know what that does and you know it interacts with some receptors in uh, cardiac muscle um, do you remember ephedrine Uh, was it ephedrine it used to be a supplement mm. like a weight loss supplement and the kind L2 of like speed 000. wasn't it yeah and people had some like heart issues and i think it works on that same receptor so there might be some contraindications for people with uh, heart issues but yeah like i said it's so new like i don't think I think that's a new thing maybe in the past 40 years, 30 years that people have been doing, but for thousands of years, people have been taking large doses. So we know that's pretty vetted physiologically, but yeah, microdosing It's pretty, uh, it's, it's the new, the new cool thing to do. Apparently
0: sure is. I'm going to, I feel like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball with this one. and need to catch up the, um, when you, the large doses, I'm guessing just to kind of, you can't do large doses every day. So is the, is the, well, I don't know, maybe you could, but is the, is the idea you sure that. I sure wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the idea that when you do do it on a, in, a, in a larger quantity, that it just has a natural way of you don't do it again for quite a while and that's how it sort of evens
1: out? <clears throat> I mean, I would venture the larger the dose, the more time you're going to naturally want to take before doing it again um and the smaller the dose just because the you know perception of it isn't really visible you could do that pretty frequently Um, but even so we ran a little test with a group of people for microdosing psilocybin like around you know 0.15 to 0.25 uh and uh, grams and Everyone naturally kind of stopped around six weeks without us planning that in or giving instruction. So I thought that was interesting. And I found that myself. I really never want to go past six weeks. So I think there's something self limiting about um, psychedelics in that manner. But we'll see when the pharmaceutical companies get a hold of it. And how how they prescribe it and how it's used that will be interesting to see. When you when you
0: do it, you know, when you microdose like that, do you do you feel the effects in a conscious kind of way? Like, are you training and you're thinking to yourself, "Oh man, like I'm I'm really doing this, whatever, differently, better because of what of the dosage I had this morning," or is it a case of I don't know? maybe with a lot of things where perhaps when you're not doing it. So when you've come off the microdosing schedule that you're like, Oh, I was actually a little bit different over that period. Like it's kind of in
1: retrospect that you see the effect. Yeah. I notice it the, uh, while doing it, you know, at the current time of doing it. And, but I do see a lot of benefits the next day when I'm taking days off, I think just cause they linger. Um, that increased kind of awareness stays and then it compounds. So doing it again, it's kind of already there. And then it increases again. And I think maybe that's one of the things where I'm like, Oh, I don't really want to take any more of this. I'm like, I'm good at my level. Um, And once again, this could be, you know, don't count out placebo because you could feel a lot of things (laughs) just by believing it. Right. But I, I feel tiny physiological differences, and I think I'm more sensitive. Like, I've become more sensitive over the years, so I need, like, less and less. But um, first thing I'll kind of realize is a breathing. I just take less restrictive, bigger breaths. Um, kind of have a, like, kind of relax a little bit, like my facial, facial musculature. And yeah, I'm, I'm more social, which is different for me and just my decisions. One thing looking back is I've always made decisions that were different than my normal routine. We talked about willpower, right? Like I get out of my groove and habitual patterns way more easy and my curiosity takes control and less of a barrier to kind of following that or chasing it, which, which is usually beneficial and usually comes with growth. Sometimes a lot, like sometimes I could trace decisions that have changed the trajectory of my life to something while on a microdose. It's a strong case for microdosing there. Potentially. Yeah.
0: Tell me about your, I want to talk to you about training And I want to get an insight into how it works for you. You are known as Strong Camps on Instagram. Um, What's the, explain that name to me.
1: Uh, So I had a Saturday boot camp class in like 2014. And uh, I called it Strong Camps instead of uh, boot camp. It was Strong Camp. And we did like circuit strength training. So I made an Inst, I had an Instagram, but it was like pictures of food and flowers and like none of myself. So I made a business Instagram
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I named it the name to to promote this uh, boot camp. Yeah. So that's, that's how I chose the name. Okay. <laughs> that's stuck.
0: cool. How funny how these things, how these things evolve. Cause when I see it, I'm like, drum camps, like, what does it mean? Like it, it has you know, just, yeah, you know, whatever connotations and it's great. It's you, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You're most people listening, you know, your name is probably going to be in the title of this episode. So, you know, people will, will know you and they'll be somewhat familiar with, with what you do. But if, if I'm sort of describing it to someone who's uninitiated, I would say that strength is obviously a, a huge, um, you know, one of the pillars of what you do but you, a lot of what I see you playing with, and I do see you playing and exploring with a lot of, of, of unique movements. I, I see you going outside of the boundaries of conventional sort of fitness, but even movement, like you, you're coming up with something and you're trying your own shit and then you're loading it up. Uh, would that be a fair kind of
1: synopsis of, you know,
0: what we see from strong camps?
1: Uh, sure, yeah. I I strength is important. I think that's kind of the goal for me uh, when working with people is how do we make people stronger? And I think the more ways we could make people stronger, not just like the make different parts stronger, but the more ways to access <clears throat> exercises and movement, uh, potentially just the more accessible they could be to people in the general population. Um, that's one reason. Second reason is it's fun. And in my own personal programming, a lot of, uh, I always leave a little bit of room for just exploring stuff. It might be something I saw on social media, might be something I wanted to try, might just be playing around, but I have that programmed in little windows and that's the majority, I guess, of what I post. Um, it's just those little t- like windows of me trying something for the first and last time, <laughs> uh, might be a little deceiving, but yeah, it's important because, you know, sometimes you'll just get a new perspective, new information from this, and then you could apply it as a tool later on if you need to.
0: And that, that was going to be my next question, but maybe you've already sort of answered it just there where, with the stuff that you're doing that is more playful and it's, it's something unique and it's, it's unconventional would be a better word for it. Uh-huh. Do you have a way of like, what is your structure for for doing these things? You know, do you, do you look and go, Oh, I want to explore that thing. So I'm going to do it a couple of times a week for the next six weeks. Or is it like, fuck it. I got 10 minutes right now. I'm just going to have a go at this. And then, I will move on from it and forget about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough question. So more the latter, I would say. So I'll just, a lot of them I use for testing. Like, let me see if I can do this or what I could do without training it. And, you know, there's movements I'll try every three years, four years, or maybe once a year. I'm like, wow, I got better at it. It feels better. I'm stronger. Range of motion is better without training it. Um, I'm not big for super high skill exercises, to be honest. Um, those are the things I like to just test. I like easy, basic stuff that I could produce a lot of effort on and I'll, you know, modify it if I have certain goals. So that, yeah, that's one side. A lot, a lot of these unconventional skills, it's a lot of it's just testing or trying to see how my training would carry over. But on the other hand, I'm pretty big on like novelty or variety in training, which, you know, a lot of people say like stick to the basics and I I do stick to the basics, but I rotate like a squat is always going to be there, but there's a million ways to squat and I could use a sandbag, different implements, different stances, zercher, back squat, Uh, So I do like to rotate a lot of variation, but it's always with the basics. And if there's a kind of external task, high skill feat, I guess I classify it in my program as like perform a feat. And that's what I have in those little windows of playing around with stuff. Um, But yeah, I I hope that answers that question.
0: Yeah, it does. What about applying your... That's obviously for what you want to follow and what you're training. Do you, how does that change when you're working with a new client, maybe someone who's much less experienced in training? Do you still kind of apply this same idea of like what I picked up from the squat reference you made was that like the theme of the squat is always there, but the specific variation might vary from day to day, week to week, month to month. Would that still be something that you might do with a, with a new client or do you tend to, to boil it down to more sort of
1: basics over a longer period of time for them. Yeah. I'm usually coming back to the basics, but once again, basics to me are just kind of the movement pattern and, and more specifically, I, the model I use in is in tor- terms of the muscles more than the movement, which uh, in movement culture is sacrilege, right? And blasphemy. But, um, you. That's kind of how I organize my structure and how I train people. So within that, like, I don't really program like the standard bench press, high bar back squat. um, Like I don't, I don't really do the the standard movements, but I do the basic muscles. We're training those. and, And I guess you could say movement patterns, but a lot of people come to me and say, Hey, I, with the, idea that my training is all unconventional stuff and they're like, I want to train like that. (laughs) And I usually disappoint them. I'm like, Hey, we're going to use these things you want to do. um, maybe as a test that right now, okay, you can't do them. Let's try this program where we're putting, you know, the pieces together and then retest it. And what do you know? Hey, you could do it now. Hey, it's easier than you thought. You have the skill down, you feel strong at it all right let's go back to building up the basics and we'll see what it unlocks next and that goes against the law of specificity in some regards which i think is a little bit taken too far but yeah if you just become a stronger more capable individual you can do more cool shit
0: take me to the
1: <clears throat> take me to the fitness industry
0: and your views there you touched on just now Um, typically fitness tends to take this, uh, principle of specificity too far. Um, I know, you know, don't have to look at a lot of your stuff to, to see that you, you have, uh, I don't know, you maybe think some of it's a little bit absurd. That's how I sort of put it because I I share these, that's how I kind of view it. Um, talk to me about that. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's just promoted a lot i guess in the evidence-based um thinking that we don't we don't really know Hmm, how do i put this so when i hear law specificity it's like always searching for the path of most efficiency always searching for optimal it's like, oh, you want this in the training? Let's plug it in X, Y, Z, um, practice the movement, pattern it, uh, get better at it, adjust the volume. Oh, you're in pain, um, load management, let's pull it back. And it's, it's a little bit too reductionistic for me. Um, and that goes along with, hey, strength is a skill, you know, just practice what you want to get good at. I guess I have a more romantic version of strength. I think that's a quality in, in and of itself that bleeds over to everything else in life and every other aspect. Um, That might not be measurable, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I approach things. So I'm I'm not, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know who's right, but I look at it from a, a user standpoint, like, What is the best way to approach a training program? Is it the most efficient way or is it a way in which you receive the most information? You know, it reminds me of a, there's studies being done in artificial intelligence on trying to like get robots to walk and like do mazes. And they found that, there's robots where they they program the task and the goal to complete the maze get out of the maze find the exit and then they programmed robots to just try something new every time and like if they ran into a wall or if they fell that was actually seen as a positive thing because they did something new It's like, okay, now don't do the new thing again. Do something else that's new. And these uh, novelty-searching robots completed the maze like 46 out of 49 times. And the exit-searching ones completed it like 3 out of 49 times. And then they did the same thing with robots learning to walk. Uh, The ones who saw exploration as positive, learned how to walk much faster. Because if you try all the ways to fall and all the ways to do things, you're going to find the right way. And you're going to have all this information. If you just try to get it right, you're missing a lot of stuff. That's maybe the point because you can't see that far ahead. And you're being deceived by the maze that you're trying to navigate, right? It's there to deceive you. And that's life. And that's when I look at babies learning how to walk. That's how I see it happening. When you look at evolution, that's how evolution works. And when I look at training, I see it the same way. Maybe it's not just the law of specificity. Maybe we need to develop skills of navigating the maze and drawing a clear map of ourselves. Like maybe isn't that the point, (laughs) right? Is the destination really the point or is it not only the journey but learning how to navigate it? And I feel like, uh, the stronger people get at that, that is like the essence of strength and not just a measurable skill at the end of the road. Talk to me about
0: your time in
1: the movement culture. I (laughs) I feel like I've been in an AA meeting, (laughs) uh, no is my time in the movement culture was great um, that was one of the uh, rooms of the maze I went down and learned a lot um, of course I ran into a big wall and had to turn around but uh, <laughs> I'm was glad that? I just went too far down it I ate up all the philosophical talk and the ideology which I've done with many things not related to movement culture Uh, that you could be in the functional culture or whatever mobility. Um, Yeah. But uh, I I enjoyed it. It was a different perspective on training. Um, The community was awesome. Like such a great community. I met really cool people. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't know what more to say, but it was a positive experience. And I really no no longer feel like I'm in doing a movement practice in movement culture, quote unquote. Like I'm not in that, but uh, still love the people in it and still glad I dove into it a little bit. I'm still glad I did phase one Edo programming. even though i almost wrecked my body yeah yes, still recovering from it somewhat still reco- there's scars okay <laughs> emotional and physical
0: yeah the um i mean it's funny isn't it because the I, i'm probably in a similar place to you i i you know i drank the kool-aid for for a good chunk of time there and and you know it was an extremely positive experience benefited me in many ways and if you take what what's being peddled and, and the philosophy therein, then yeah, you still have a movement practice, even if like whatever you're doing, it's still a movement practice. But we kind of know that within that culture or that dogma, you don't. Um, because it doesn't necessarily fit the bill of what is, you know, of, of what that culture values or does. Mm-hmm. Um the Tell me about, like, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Move Boys. The Spinal Waves video is, I was actually going to treat myself this morning and re watch that because it's one <laughs> of the few videos that I've saved and I watch it. I don't know. I've watched it a bunch of times. It's hilarious. Um, but tell me, like, with, with that account that you have, and for folks listening, there will be a link to that if you haven't seen it. There's some hilarious shit. Um, but the impetus there is obviously sort of poking fun a little bit at some of these things within the industry. Um, and it's not, it's not hugely derogatory. It's just kind of shining a light on certain nuances of, of what we do or what they do. Tell me, tell me about where that comes from.
1: Yeah. I think like a lot of us, I mean, behind closed doors, we're joking around like saying maybe what we really think and yeah, we decided, hey, like, we, th- we think it's funny, like, especially me and uh, uh, Garrett, uh, our G-Money movement uh, <laughs> on Instagram, but we're just always like, hey, did you see this? <laughs> we're just laughing. Um, and in reality, I like, I'm making fun of myself. Like, these are all versions of myself that I've gone through. Um, yeah, so we're just having, having fun with it. I mean, fitness in general takes itself very seriously. People, I think I made a post about this recently, but there's a lot of people out there who have lost friendships, ended friendships because of disputes about uh, the gait cycle, a portion of the gait cycle or joint circles um, or how you should, should move, what's the best way to move, like about exercises. That is so ridiculous. (laughs) I, I feel like it's easy to get caught in, you know, maybe it's like sports teams, you know, down here, Chargers and the Raiders, you know, they, there might be some deaths, like people will get stabbed and die during a game. And we already see this with politics, right? People are taking this to a level beyond what what used to be normal and i don't know if it's because we're hooked up and plugged into this hive mind technology amplifying everything and creating echo chambers and um just pushing fear and hate against others but we're kind of getting that at least on instagram with fitness and i think it's good to remind ourselves that uh hey, we're just kind of working out, we're just we're just getting a pump in the gym rolling out you know chill
0: i I do love how, and I've really embraced this more myself in recent years but i I do love like with all of the different factions um that's still sort of getting jacked is what it all boils down to and you know, like people will define that differently. And, but there's always this underlying thing of like, yeah, but we're all just here to get jacked.
1: Well, I think it's, I think it boils down to self worth. And that could be achieved through getting jacked, is an easy one. Um, I don't think anyone's going to turn that down. It's a nice byproduct. But even if you're like trying to get this skill, it's still to like fill in some hole and get some love or attention and increase your self-worth and a lot of it now is like now it's intellectual like man I know the way to move I'm evidence-based I know these things like that's another way to fill in that void so I see it all boiling down to that but when people try to philosophical and like no that's not why I move I do it for the art of blah 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 like, okay and that's cool too I'm all for stories and being the hero on the journey so whatever journey you want to paint it out to be I think it's a good strategy but um, <laughs> yeah it's like hey people who are getting jacked are doing the same exact thing as you they're trying to feel better about themselves so you know no no judgment here no sh- shame free zone king free
0: no judgment a little bit or actually yeah no? i'm a
1: guy. okay you get i i am very <laughs> judgmental god damn it joe <laughs> i mean that's the know. whole point of move boys is to judge people <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: including yourself as you said right you know, I, you know. So I think, I think that makes it okay. Cause you're like, I've been guilty of these things myself and I'm not afraid to, to, to say that.
1: And also the advice I give to people or especially clients when I have my trainer hat on, when I take the trainer hat off, I, I'm judging you slightly. Like I saw something, uh, a Q and a about should I train um, with a sunburn and Like, it's a bad sunburn. And if someone asked me that, I'd be like, you know, if you don't feel good today, take the day off. Like, you're not here to torture yourself. It's cool. Um, Wait till you feel better. Your discretion, listen to your body, all that. But if you're, like, my training partner, my friend, I'd be making fun of you for not (laughs) working out because you got a sunburn, you know what I mean? But it's two different things. One, I'm talking to a – I'm in the role of – a coach and it might be a general pop person. The other one, like we said, going into bro and out with your friends. Yeah. I'm going to, you'll never live that down. Yeah. (laughs) We'll call you sunburn boy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, um, there's something
0: that, that, so I had to listen to, uh, I I jumped in on one of your episodes of quest cast and um, was listening to you. And is it, is it Mirth or John talking about, yeah,
1: John Yoon and, and Majestic Murph.
0: Yeah. And he was, you were being quizzed about if you're still training Jiu and that they don't think it's a great idea for you. And, um, <laughs> I, I was like, fuck the, there's, there's layers to this thing. And, and one thing I wanted to ask you, which was, it's very hard to get a read on you when you're trolling and when you're not, how do you, is that, you know, <laughs> is that kind of something? You, it, Cause here's a, here's a surprise. When I when I listened to you say to I think I think I listened to you talking with um Lucas Aaron Range of Strength and uh, and I was like I was struck that oh wow he's actually quite a quite an open and personable guy. Prior to hearing that I would have thought that you that maybe you wouldn't have given so much and maybe not as been as relaxed and as easygoing as you are. Um, and I don't know why I came up with that. It's just an assumption based off what I see and you know. But so. Boiling that down, hard to know when you're trolling and when you're not. Is that, is that intentional? Do you kind of like straddling that line where it's a bit, of a,
1: it's a bit mystical? I mean, I, I, well, like I said before, a lot of trainers are on the spectrum, Joe. But I, I'm not sure when I'm, yeah, I'm not sure either, to be honest. Um, I think it could go either way. I think there's, there's truth in everything. Um, And we also shouldn't take everything too seriously. Yeah. I don't know the difference between the, um, the profane and the, uh, in the mystical, I don't know. That's a suitably vague response. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) No, don't be. It's tell probably me. a lie. Everything I said as well. So who knows? <laughs> I am mean, I lying you- to myself or am I lying to you? <laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't know. Um,
0: tell me about the the science aspect of what you do. Um, there's there's obviously you know you you do a lot of research. I know you've done the the bite the research on bite training. You've um, I, I'm not sure whether you invented it or whether it's just been a tool that you've taken and and worked with, with the talk stick, there's research there, um, there's, there's the microdosing piece. Where did you become a guy that, that researches in this sort of way? And as, as, a, as a trainer, was that always something that you was in your mind that, hey, I want to I explore these different outcomes and I want to use a group of people and apply a scientific process? Or did you come through university or college and that was something that was sort of
1: taught to you? so yeah no i'm a i'm a college dropout but and i wouldn't even call myself a researcher i mean most of the time i'm just looking at abstracts of articles if it's interesting i'll look at the conclusion and if i really want to know what's going on i'll look at the you know methods and results but um that's just curiosity i think a lot of things are interesting um as far as like the predator course with the by training, I did really try to dive in and tease out you know what what's happening. Um, but most of the times, like in, in terms of research, I'm looking at experts in the field for the people who do scour the research and do meta-analysis and publish you know what do they think about things because there's just so much out there um, So yeah, I'm just interested on an armchair level about most things. I try to listen to experts and uh, I think the cool thing about, especially now with the internet, Google Scholar, all these things, PubMed, they're available. You could just start learning things and looking at um, systematic reviews of things, which is good because we are in a weird time of information. Uh, so yeah it, I just have fun looking at things, and a lot of them just pop up on my my feed, which knows me by now
0: was Was that curiosity always there because i mean i I think it's not usual right for for people who are into training, coaching that whole thing it's not uh, It's not a given that they're going to be sitting down spending time, you know checking scholarly articles and whatnot.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I guess that's a different hobby than most people. Um, I think it comes from going back to my journey, my past, and I'm not kidding. All all these things I'm judging and (laughs) making fun of was, was me, you know, I had such confidence as a new trainer and I know what I know. And it was because of looking at other people, at the gym, uh, teen Asian articles, um, stuff influencers said. So, you know, I was so sure about things and I'm at the point now where I, I, I see that's the value of science, you know, let's test it. And that's something I love is experimenting and testing and trying to be objective. So now, uh, I just see it as information, you know, What's happening? What information can I get from this? What can I learn? Should I update my model of reality, my view of the body and of training? Is there something I could take from this? Is there something I can experiment with? Um, And I'm lucky to have had a lot of clients I've experimented with over the years, knowingly and unknowingly, uh, to see what's worked. So, yeah, I think it's all one big game of information and. science is a cool part of that but it could also be as i think we've both seen taken a little bit too far into scientism but you got to check the line
0: i think that's why i like some of the way you do it it's kind of i don't know it's it's organic and it's it's accessible it's with the people that you're working with which you know I'm guessing you don't have, there's not thousands of people on the books there. There's, you know, you got a handful of clients, good ones online and face-to-face and you have something that you're interested in. And then you go, Hey guys, I want to, I want to test the results of this. And I, I guess even when you put stuff out, you're putting it out on social media so that even people who aren't being coached by you can participate in it as well. Um, but I really like that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great way to include people in the whole thing. And it shows that there is more to this sort of path of training that, you know, you can have a little bit of fun with it. You can veer off track at times
1: and maybe what, maybe you'll learn something cool from that. Yeah. How does it, how does it feel? Um, That's valid too. I think once again, when you get caught in the trap of efficiency and most optimal, you forget the fundamental, like the base layer of the pyramid in training is adherence. If you're not going to adhere, if you're not enjoying it, if you can't stick to it, then you've already lost. So um, you could look at the top part of the pyramid, which is like, how do we get the most efficient in this 12 weeks doing this one thing with this specific population? What is the best way? and everyone has to do it that way. But, uh, people should know that, Hey, when you zoom out, offering something that people enjoy and creating a good experience is really the main goal that you have. Everything else is built on top of. Um, so in that it's not as sexy. We don't really waste time on studying that, but it is what we all need to do is just, uh, you know, and that's where the art comes in. Provide a service, provide a modality, no matter what it is, and uh allow people to access it.
0: Did you continue training jiu-jitsu? That's what I really wanted to ask. All right. God damn it.
1: You listened you listened to me spout off on of my calorie deficit like the other guy throughout this whole episode just to segue into this. <laughs> I don't even know what I was talking about the whole time. I so I stopped. I stopped training jujitsu after I was told, um, it's not for me. And, but I think, I think that was that a serious discussion? What, the yeah. Was it? It was a good, it was a good friend telling me, Hey, this is not for you. You need to stop. Okay. Like I'm telling you as a friend to stop. And, um, but the biggest reason I stopped was because like he was he was coaching me and um so he stopped coaching me so I stopped doing it. Um I'd like to continue. I would just have to kind of find time in my schedule, join a school again, but uh yeah, I stopped. I mean my coach told me to stop essentially. He was your coach in jujitsu. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I guess when the coach says stop, it's it's hard to
1: not stop. I'm a very coachable person too, so I, you know, <laughs> I listened. Um, do you feel better for it? Um I don't know if I feel better or worse. Like it, so the, the, the point that he was making told me to stop was like, I wasn't into jujitsu for jujitsu. It was like a way to like wrestle, you know, around and get a sweat and kind of, it was like a physical activity for me. Like I looked at it as part of my training um, and I didn't really, really care about the art. I didn't like bow when I went on the mat. <laughs> um <laughs> so i think maybe that was part of it so he was like hey like find something else you enjoy doing like i I, and i could see that you know a lot of people take jujitsu very seriously and maybe it's perceived as like maybe i'm wasting people's time if i'm not um also taking it seriously especially when the person is taking time out of their day to to help coach me so when I try to put myself in, in their shoes, maybe that's where it was coming from. <laughs>
0: that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's honest. Thanks I for asking if, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um that was a few years ago now, wasn't it? That discussion.
1: Yeah. During the pandemic. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. Maybe only a couple of years ago. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I find uh, it's, Jiu-jitsu is a funny one because it does draw, it does attract a lot of people, especially these days. It it, it attracts everyone who's into moving or the body or training, whatever is like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to do it. Um, But I find that once you're in there, it's really not, it's often not as, it's not an easy thing to maintain um, with a low level of commitment. You kind of need to go all in or it's, or just not at all.
1: Yeah. I found myself <laughs> also like I was, I was never trying to win uh, when I was sparring. I just wanted to like to get in positions where I had to try. I wanted to see how much I could muscle out of things intentionally because once again, I'm viewing this as like a training practice <laughs> and not like a skill or a game. <laughs> Uh, but I, I mean, I enjoyed that. I'd like to get back into it. Yeah. I'll, hey, I'll get back into it at, at some point. Maybe this year, if schedule allows. I want to put my kid in it. So I know I'm going to kind of get back into it. How's your kid? He just turned four. Ah, cool. And I, I wrestle, like you had, <laughs> were talking about, uh, you were interviewing someone who was doing his steps every day. So my steps physical activity is playing with my kid and, um, we wrestle every day. I mean, since he was like six months old, just wrestling, wrestling. So he's very intuitive, very strong and very good at it. Uh, so yeah, I'm thinking four is the age where I want to put him in, into a school at some point. And That's then I'm cool. going to want to do it too with him.
0: Yeah. Um, Is, is Morietta, I'm guessing there's a few academies there. Like every, like California is the Mecca of jujitsu these days. You got some good spots. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. All the schools are here really saturated. It's uh, a lot of money in it. You know, uh, these studios are making good bank. So yeah, there's one on every corner. Hmm. Amazing. Um,
0: Last question, man, before I, before I let you go. Uh, and I say that because I could, uh, it's, I know it's afternoon for you and you probably got things to do. When you're looking at the fitness game and you're looking at coaches and, and all of this stuff we've sort of chatted on, what do you wish
1: coaches would do differently? Hmm. What do I wish coaches would do differently? I think something, uh, one of my, coaches I had said that I took to heart was uh, be the lighthouse, not the tugboat. It was Julian Penao who said that. And you see this on social media. People are trying to like go into this, uh, tearing other people down or trying to tell people they're wrong and steer them towards what they think. Instead of just being a beacon of, hey guys look what I found is beneficial look what I do in these situations you know be an example or show what you do instead of trying to tear other people down and reroute them to what you think is the proper path and that kind of seemed to be how social media was or um like I don't know six years ago it was like Hey, here's a challenge. Hey, try this new thing. Hey, that's cool. Let me try it. And now it's very like tribal where it's like no, you're a clown if you do that or um you're going to get hurt if you do that. It's yeah, it's it's more negativity based than I guess growth and creative based and uh as edo, good the great edo one says um more exploiting than exposing did he really say that full yeah he said you're you're either he said (laughs) you're either you're either exploiting your practice or exposing your practice okay yeah had something to do with tennis balls i'm not sure but i really like that (laughs) line (laughs) glad we could bring it full circle at the end
0: yeah yeah it's like a snake eating its tail that one (laughs) <laughs> um mate where can where can people find your stuff where can they connect with you and you know are you doing any programs Plug yourself please
1: okay yeah so uh best place is at strong camps on instagram uh, you might have to type it all the way to the s for me to pop up because i think i'm shadow banned again ah. and uh we have a so online coachings there if you want to look at some of the Um, Byte stuff. We have free resources. If you click the link in the bio, um, free webinar, you could watch some videos on there and there's going to be a online for online training coaches and programs pretty soon. We're going to launch. Uh, So if you want to see my programming um, and also some of my friends I respect in the fitness games programming, stay tuned for that.
0: And what about the what about the podcast?
1: Is that an ongoing project? Uh, the Questcast. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's on pause. I'm not sure. I like that. Who, who knows? Yeah, who knows? That's cool. <laughs> Do you want to hear more, Joe? Yeah, maybe. Did you listen to it, or did you listen to one in preparation for this uh, podcast?
0: I started listening to two. Uh, I didn't listen to him all the way. It was more so in preparation for this because I wasn't actually... Yeah, we're not going to know... start it up again
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to
0: kill it. I didn't know it existed. And then I thought, oh, I should check if, if he's got a podcast. And then I stumbled across it. Um, so I listened to you guys play devil's advocate for a little bit. I thought that was a fun format. And then I listened to the conversation, which was actually very funny. The conversation you had about your coach telling you to quit jujitsu because... Out of the blue last night, I stumbled across the Joe Rogan episode where he tells Brendan sharp that he needs to quit MMA.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's no, I was Brendan. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. Yeah, that yeah, was cool, man. Um, I wanted some tears, but yeah, that's what I got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I really appreci- appreciate you making the time and, and chatting with, with me today. It was really cool to, uh, to get to know you. I... I like what you're putting out there. I like what you're doing. Um, you know, I'll continue to follow the thing. For anyone listening, I'm obviously going to put um, uh, notes, uh, links, and whatnot to to your account and and everything, so people can see some of the stuff we've been referencing.
1: Um,
0: yeah, I, I look forward to another chat down the track. Uh, maybe once you've taken up jujitsu, and I can respect you a little bit more for that. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, DJ. Thank you for having me on, Joe. I appreciate it.